Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we'll be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at CoinGecko. Hi everyone, welcome to the CoinGecko podcast. For today's episode, we would love to welcome Nick Pat, CTO at Teller, and Michael Zemros, co-founder and CSO at, of Teller. Nick left his job at the US regulator, Commodities Futures and Trading Commission, CFTC, about three years ago to build an Ethereum-based derivative startup. Now he's the co-founder and CTO of Teller, a decentralized oracle and evangelist for censorship resistance and proper crypto economics. Michael Zemros is the co-founder and CSO of Teller, whose entrepreneurial journey zigzagged all over the map until he landed on something that matched his passion for emerging technology, freedom, and trolling scammers on Telegram. Welcome to the show, Nick and Michael. Thanks, Thanks for having us, me. Bobby. All right, so for the first question, can you explain to us what Teller is in a simple, non-technical manner to our audience here at CoinGecko? Okay, so Teller is a decentralized oracle, which in blockchain terms is any entity that brings off-chain data on-chain because blockchains are siloed from other networks. So with Teller, our unique way of doing this is through competition and crypto economic incentives to bring that off-chain data on-chain. And it's like a super high-level, super simple way to explain it. And I remember reading in the FAQ that Teller was born out of the need from your previous startup, Dexia, which rely on a centralized oracle. Which centralized oracle was it and why was the architecture flawed? causing you to need Teller? So we were just kind of using, our, we built our own centralized Oracle. So that's like, you know, if you're running a derivative startup, whenever you are just sort of, you need somebody to enter in the price, you need a start date and end date to calculate the price off of. And this was back in 2017. And actually nothing was launched uh, Oracle-wise. You had Provable, which we were using. So if you know, like Oracleize at the time, and, and that was... We had experimented and played around with that, but that's just a completely centralized Oracle service. So, yeah. And then we realized, you know, whenever you have a derivatives contract, you need to decentralize the Oracle. So we set off to kind of build our own since we didn't really like any of the other models being built. And your derivative startup, was it a centralized derivative exchange like BitMEX or was it more like a decentralized derivative exchange? That's why you need a decentralized Oracle. Yeah, it was, it was a really decentralized one. So it was... You know, I like to say similar to like a DYDX or Mm -hmm. we wanted to do tokenized derivatives, which was the kind of the goal of what we were, that was kind of our tagline. So you could have like a a long Bitcoin token or a short Bitcoin token, which would have been kind of a a synthetic cryptocurrency token that was backed by a week-long or month-long derivatives contract. Which is kind Um, of what the leverage tokens are doing around these days, right? Yeah, so like DYDX is pretty similar. Synthetics is similar, except, you know, they use the pooling mechanism versus the individual contracts. And yeah, there's, you know, it's definitely something that a lot of people kind of realize the need for. And we're glad to see other projects kind of taking it head on. We just wanted to build the critical piece of infrastructure, which was the Oracle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and I'm sure like everyone in the space is quite familiar with your competitor chain link when it comes to decentralized oracles. I'm sure you get this question a lot as well. What's the main difference between Teller and Chainlink? So I think the main thing is that Chainlink is focused on what they call quality of data, which they get by using known reputable nodes who have access to private permissioned API data. And so that's how they define this quality term. Mm-hmm. which is kind of like how we think of quality in a more centralized world. But the thing is, Bitcoin came along and sort of enabled a whole new type of data quality. Data quality that would be defined by it being decentralized and permissionless and censorship resistant. And I don't think Chainlink is going to be able to achieve that type of quality going about things the way they are using whitelisted data providers like they do. And so... That's a huge difference. Like with Teller, we focus on that Bitcoin style quality where, you know, decentralized is our our number one priority and censorship resistance is our number one priority. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, we feel that we're the decentralized option between the two. All right. So Teller basically, like, I mean, for example, CoinGecko has an API and we are one of the trusted providers on Chainlink that feeds data into the Chainlink Oracle. And they use the same, for example, to get Bitcoin price, they also use data from some other API providers as well. So let's look at Teller, right? So how does Teller work? Like, how do you get data onto your Oracle, for example? Yeah, so the way that Teller works is we have a network of staked miners. So anybody who grabs a thousand TRP tokens can stake their tokens in our smart contract, and then they can compete at proof-of-work mining. So you, if you were running, say, a derivatives ex- decentralized derivatives contract, and you needed the price of Bitcoin, you would come to the Teller contract and ask it for the price of Bitcoin. Then and those network of miners would compete at a meaningless proof-of-work calculation, and they would submit the solution along with the price of Bitcoin to an Ethereum smart contract. We take five of the submissions, and the median is the official price of Bitcoin. And the important piece is that any of those five submissions can be disputed. So a teller token holder could say, hey, he lied. And then you can potentially lose your stake if you did maliciously lie. But the difference in kind of how, whenever you're talking about what data they're putting on chain, so you have to, it's almost a separate question versus how it gets on chain. The idea of what piece of data it is, you know, like, there's the price of Bitcoin. There's the price of Bitcoin according to CoinGecko. There's the price of Bitcoin according to Coinbase. There's the price of Bitcoin that you can trade a thousand Bitcoin at on yeah. Coinbase. And then there's the price of Bitcoin at 4 p.m. on the specific exchange, you know, that's going to be physically delivered on the CME exchange. So there's a whole bunch of different ways to define what data that you want on chain. and what Teller's focused on, you know, if you actually want censorship resistance in, in any of these DeFi contracts, which is what we think that people are ultimately using Ethereum for, you probably don't want to just use one service provider or one kind of, we're going to use Coinbase's price. The problem is, is that, you know, like Coinbase, for, for instance, they just started an Oracle service where they sign the price every so often and you can grab it and say, hey, this was the price on Coinbase. The problem with that is Coinbase can at any point stop doing that. 
there's no guarantee that they will continue to do that. And that's kind of the liveness guarantee piece, but there will still always be a Bitcoin price. And, and that, that's what Teller focuses more on is more of that abstract concept of you have to post a Bitcoin price and it is the Bitcoin price according to the Teller network, not according to this specific API. So it's a little bit different of a concept, but it's one that we think can actually provide censorship resistance. For instance, you know, if the goal of the API is what's the price of Bitcoin according to CoinGecko, and you guys are ordered by some regulator to not give the price, you know, that that's too bad for that contract if the API shuts down. So we would have to, you don't want to be kind of beholden to the mm-hmm. API service provider. So, and the miners get to decide like what would be the best Bitcoin price because they have to, at that point in time when they submit the data and they could like, for instance, take the average Bitcoin price or the Bitcoin price on Coinbase or a weighted average of Bitcoin price across different exchanges up to the miners to decide what to submit to the, the chain. Yeah, so usually, you know, whenever the Bitcoin price gets updated quite often with our oracles and we give them a whole list of free APIs that they query from and usually take the median of, mm-hmm. CoinGecko is one of them, you guys are great. And then, you know, but if they want to throw in paid APIs, they're more than welcome to, you know, we just, we just need a price of Bitcoin. If you want to okay. manually type it in, by all means, go for it. It's just basically all that we see is like, what you push to Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So you enter the price of Bitcoin on Ethereum. And as long as the Teller network agrees that that is a valid price of Bitcoin at the time, yep. you're, you're good to go. Yeah, we feel like we incentivize accuracy. And so that'll be there. But it's really not about that in and of itself. It's about the sort of the, the principle behind how that data is, mm-hmm. is delivered. And that goes back to why is anybody doing anything on a blockchain you know, why are we all here? Like, what is this really about? Is it about accurate data? You know, I would say, I think we would all agree it's about more than that. It's about censorship resistance. It's about unstoppable applications. And so like, that's, that's the important thing. It's like, you're getting data that's unstoppable, whether or not it's as reputable of, as, of a piece of data coming from one of our miners versus Coinbase is just not what we think of. You know, we don't, we don't think that that's the big, consideration that you should have. And how often does this data get updated? Is a blocks mine every 10 minutes, like the Bitcoin blockchain, for example. So if that's the case, then Bitcoin price only gets updated once every 10 minutes or so on the Teller Oracle. And I guess like, and then my next question is how many submissions are there like for the Bitcoin price for every block? Will there only be one submission because there will only be one block winner for each block? Or will there be a multiple submission? And how do we decide which one do we choose? Sure. So I, I think it's like two questions. Yeah, two questions. We'll, we'll look back in here. So yeah, teller block times are currently ten minutes long. So we get one point, one data point every ten minutes. We are upgrading this for V two. So this is coming out next month. I'm sure you're, I know you're going to ask questions about that. But um, we're going to be updating five data points every five minutes. So we're like ten xing our speed. But even that, you know, it, it's not necessarily the fastest of oracles. Uh, so, you know, you can think you can get a Bitcoin update every five minutes as far as what, what the price of Bitcoin is. But we think that this is this sort of fits with where the Ethereum space is and, and what DeFi apps actually need. So, yeah, that's why we built it that way. Yeah, we don't think you should build your protocol to rely on really, really fast oracles. So like that, again, like like we were saying with the having high quality data or whatever, 
is the same same sort of thing as is trying to have super fast data. Like when you're talking about building on Ethereum and, and building on a blockchain, those should be lower down the totem pole in terms of what's important. And I think we've seen recently what happens when you try to rely on fast updates and the network clogs and all of a sudden you can't get those fast updates and things, bad things happen. So we designed our block times and, and just the sort of throughput of our Oracle. We were very conservative with it and sort of wanted to make sure that we could make the assumptions we were making on a security level where we could meet. And we did that for the last year. And, and now with, with B2 coming up, we're pushing the envelope as far as we can with those things. Let's talk about V2, right? So what are the upgrades coming on in V2 and what are the main differences between V1 and V2? Happy to talk about it. So we just sent it off to our auditor today. So we're going to get a beautiful security audit done on it and assuming we pass that with flying colors. These should be live, you know, a few weeks after they're finished and we we can properly test it. So probably sometime mid-August, I'm guessing. Um, But the bigger thing, so as I said, we're moving from 10-minute block times down to 5-minute block times. And instead of one data point, we're moving to five data points. So from a user's perspective, those will be the big things. Other big changes. So before, what we had had was whenever, let's say, a miner would submit a value and it was a bad value, you could get disputed. Uh, What would happen would be that would then take, it would go to a week-long vote of color token holders whether or not that was a correct token value. We actually didn't like that. We thought that it was it was too final. So we moved to, it was A, too final, and B, too long. So we moved to the first, it's a two-day long vote. So, and then, but the result of that vote can then be disputed. And then it moves to a four-day long vote. And that can also be disputed. And then it moves to an eight-day long vote, and it can sort of be disputed, and you can go to multiple and multiple vote rounds with increasing a cost to dispute and b time for voting. But we think that that model of, you know, the security of Teller and a lot of these networks, it comes from kind of that lack of finality in the systems and just the ability to, you know, make sure that you keep iterating to make sure that it corrects itself. And so we're moving to that voting mechanism as far as I don't have like the document in front of me. So I I apologize if I miss any of the small ones but that we're also moving to a similar to kind of like the ethereum with the token fee burning so whenever miners pay for tip there's a big piece of our monetary policy it'll be whenever you pay for a tip so let's say you wanted the price of gold you could tip the price of gold and the miners would then be more incentivized to go submit the price of gold just like you know they're they're more incentivized to include your transaction in a block (laughs) on ethereum but now we're going to be burning half of the tip okay so it helped decrease the supply. There's also, we're changing the amount of rewards per miner address that each miner address can win in a day. So what is it, the current, the, what are we moving to? It's, um, yeah, so right now we were at, um, so every miner had to stake at 1,000 TRB yes. and they could mine as many values as they wanted. Now you have to stake 1,000 TRB and you can only mine one value per hour. And the reason that we're moving to that is, you know, any sort of minor centralization can sort of be, if you want to own 90% of our hash power, you're going to have to own, you're going to have to own a whole lot of our token as well. You know, like we want you to be really incentivized to keep this thing going in the right way. Uh, And it's sort of linking up the two as far as just incentive mechanisms. So you mentioned that in V1, you basically have 
one block mined every 10 minutes and in that one block there can only be one value provided in the oracle so this could be the bitcoin usd price or the ETH usd price but in v2 there'll be blocks mined every five minutes in each block there'll be five data points in each block is that right yes. so i guess every five minutes we can have like bitcoin ether litecoin zero x and some other coins like price yeah i guess my question is if there are more demand for data points, say in that five minute period, someone requests for Bitcoin USD, Bitcoin GBP, Ether USD, Ether EUR, and like gold price and an oil price, which of these five out of these six queries will be included in the block? Whichever one has the highest tip. Yeah. Okay. So and it's similar, it's similar like gas prices on Ethereum. Right. You know, whichever one has the most, you would assume the miners are going to do. And then if I pay less, then I don't get the data in the chain. So I can't really use the Oracle that Tyler is giving, right? Well, that. it's just, it's a time thing. So you would just, we just wait, wait for the next block. You would just be on the next block. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Unless, so unless would, someone is constantly paying the highest to get like BTC USD or ETH USD, sure. so you get like it included in every single block, then like it's constantly yeah. being filled out, right? Um, yeah, I mean, well, this this would be like an Ethereum, you know, like if somebody's willing to pay like, you know, $100 for a, to fill up every block every yep. 15 seconds, you know, like, theoretically, you could, I think it's actually much lower of a cost than people think it is <laughs> to do that, <laughs> fill up the gas prices. But yeah, like, no, it, it's, that's like sort of a griefing mechanism. But I guess, I guess if that's the case, then if there's a lot of demand for using Teller, then it's going to be hard trying to provide all sort of data points on chain, right? Because like, Say if there's like 10 people requiring like data every five minutes for like this. Well, that's the thing. So like we, you know, kind of right now, so we can increase it. So you can, you know, right now we're including five values. You can move it up to some farther amount of values or reduce the block time. But it's always like a balance between kind of the block size. And you want to make sure that A, there's scarcity mm -hmm. for the tokenomics to work. And B, the other thing is like miners have to pay gas fees on Ethereum in order to submit these things these solutions and at certain times the gas fees can actually be you know like black thursday for instance the, the gas fees can actually be higher than the rewards in trb token and and then your whole network freezes and you, you need users to tip way more mm -hmm. so if there's a whole lot of demand and tips are really high that then you would assume that the rewards are way higher than gas fees so then you, you can sort of expand the block size and color so like it's a flexible system but you have to like there's a lot of variables that almost are more dependent upon Ethereum scaling and upon like the demand base versus just purely, can we do it? You know what I mean? Yep. I guess my next question is, who are the people demanding for Oracle data on Teller right now? Like who's using the Teller Oracles? Yeah, so we, we're just working with our first partners on getting them launched. So we're, we should have some, we should have some exciting news over the next few, few months. So we're not really in the, the habit of, telling okay. we, we we just want people to kind of start seeing data being requested on chain that's one of the, the big differentiators we want to make between you know we, we've always just riffed on the space a <laughs> lot as far as we, we hate whenever people make partnerships about announcements about future partnership announcements and <laughs> announcement of you know, announcement. yeah like an announcement of an announcement we'll make an announcement whenever someone's actually using us all right so <laughs> okay. looking forward to, to hearing the announcement then when they act, they yeah, act exactly. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the announcement later on. Yeah. Right? Announcement of an announcement coming. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, we sort of made this, right? There's an announcement coming up in a few weeks' time. Just wait for it. No, I, I know. Well, that's what we tell people. Like, just, just don't, just stay away. Like, if you, if you're looking for like constant reassurance and you need announcements, like you're, you're too fragile to, to be in crypto. Take a step back. And all this mining, right? So it's sort of happening like on the teller chain itself, or is it a side chain, or is it a SHA two five six? Like, and then you use a CPU, GPU, ASIC to mine these blocks. So it's all off-chain. Everything is, is sort of on Ethereum. So the, you know, the valid blocks are all stored on Ethereum. So it's like we actually used a, kind of the initial design actually came from, if you remember, 0x Bitcoin. And somebody built like the whole Bitcoin proof of work protocol on top of Ethereum. And I was like, that's so dumb and pointless. But then I was like, wait a minute, you can do something with this. But it's a combination of the different algorithms. So there's SHA-256, SHA-3, and then the RIPE MT-160. So it's kind of a teller custom algo. And, and right now it's, it's kind of FPGAs mixed with a whole lot of GPUs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the TRB, the teller tributes, right? TRB. What's the main utility behind it? I know there's a constant growth amount for TRB to infinity, I believe. Every block, like X number of TRB is minted and then a percentage of them is given to miners and, and in a new V2, like a percentage of them will be burned, right? Yes, correct. But the basic utility behind TRB is they're used to pay for requests. They're used as the base rewards for the miners, as, as you mentioned, and they're also used for those tips that we mentioned. And so the way the requesting works is you pay some amount of TRB that you want which is added on top of the base reward for the miner to further incentivize that they go and fetch your request. So that's one of the main uses. Uh, the other, perhaps even uh, just as important or more important, it's used to secure the network. So the miners have to stake a bond of a thousand tributes in order to participate. And so, and that can be slashed in, in case of a miner submitting a bad value or a malicious value and there's a, a dispute that uh, miner would have their stake slashed. So it's the disincentivization to sort of uh, be a bad player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also used to initiate the dispute. So if you see a bad value come through on uh, disputes.tellerscan.com, this is our dispute center. If you see a, a bad value come through, you can pay the dispute fee and initiate a dispute. And then that goes to that vote that Nick was talking about. And then all TRB holders can participate and in votes using their token weighted vote power. And so, you know, in a situation of a dispute being resolved, if the miner was deemed bad, his stake goes to the disputer. If it's the reverse and the disputer was wrong and the value was voted as good, that dispute fee goes to the miner. So yeah, that's the TRB token in a, in a nutshell. All right, that's a, that's a good explanation, Mike. So I'm curious, right? Have you guys ever encountered like a miner submitting like fraudulent information uh, to the Oracle? And then have you guys gone through this dispute resolution before? What was the experience like like to hear from you? So we've gone through it 38 times. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> well, so the first, I think quite a few of the, probably the first half was like in the first month of Teller being live. So this was like, you know, we had a CPU miner. It was like, you know, people running like their own custom Python miners. Like it was pretty early, rough, rowdy days. And, you know, everyone was, it was like free for all. Because the token price back then, it was basically worthless. So, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, everyone was just trying to hack each other and come up with new gimmicks. So those ones don't count. 
<laughs> or I like to think of them as just almost trials. But after that, you know, we've had several disputes. There's been most of them. So I, I don't think we've actually had anybody being malicious per se, but we have had quite a few bad values. A lot of them arise from sometimes people build kind of custom miners and they build them like whether most, most of them, it's like these FPGA miners and, and they're not built built properly in the sense that like the Binance API will go down and then they'll start submitting zero values. So like the, they'll, they'll be submitting that the price of Bitcoin is zero. Uh-huh. And it's pretty obvious that the price of Bitcoin is not zero. So they get disputed. And so what happens then? Do they get the stake amount slash or? They do. So I think in probably about half the cases they've gotten their dispute amount slashed. Uh, and the other half of the cases, we actually catch it. So like if the team, if we catch it ourselves, like we'll dispute them and then we'll just kind of like figure out what happened and then give them their tokens back. So we're nice. <laughs> you know, because we, we, we don't want people to think like we're making money off of these. Okay. So we, we try and like work with them like, hey, like slap on the wrist. Like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Like, you should check if it's a zero value before you submit. Um, that's been kind of the case so far and, and we're working on just kind of continuously making it better. And, and it's, a, you know, like it's an open dispute, it's an open network. Uh, mm-hmm. So anybody can initiate a dispute and if somebody else catches that and disputes, there's, there's little we can do. So, you know, the important thing for us is that the, to maintain the integrity of getting those accurate prices on, on chain or the, those valid prices on chain. So. Do you think like the thousand tributes uh, requirement for staking is, is a bit low? Like, I mean, at this point in time, I mean, it's probably around $7,200. But I think you pointed out a few months ago when TRB was worth very little money. I mean, I think a few months ago, it was even one or $2. So it could be like $2,000 worth. And some people, for example, may think that, well, let's talk about someone who has malicious intent, right? If someone uses uh, the talent data for some derivative contracts, and that derivative contract's worth like, uh, let's say half a million dollars, like they don't mind like uh, losing this thousand TRB stake just to earn some other contract on the derivative side that can earn them half a million dollars, for example. Do you think that would be a bit of a risk on a stake amount? So the way the Teller works is you can't necessarily just base it on that. So like the cost to break Teller, so like let's assume, so you know, we take five submissions and, and you would need three of them to get the median. So you would need to lose 3,000 tokens to submit a bad value. So you, you submit a bad value and then you get disputed. So that value actually comes off chain. So like, let's say you're the person in the tree of discontent, you requested the price. Now that value got disputed. What you would do is you wouldn't wait for the week of the vote to end. You would just request it again. <laughs> so, and then somebody else would mine it, say the next block in the next 10 minutes. So if you wanted to continuously grief the other person, you would need to do it again. You would need to lose 3,000 more tokens. So similar to like, you know, in Bitcoin or Ethereum and proof of work networks, it's calculated like the cost to break Bitcoin is measured in like the cost to break Bitcoin for an hour or for mm-hmm. a day in, in terms of a 51% attack. Teller is the same way. So like the cost to break Teller for an hour is the cost of the 3,000 tokens plus the cost of the proof of work, plus, you know, times six. So 10 minute blocks for an hour. And, and if then you do the math there, it's probably pretty close to what, the, what it costs to attack Ethereum for an hour. 
which right now is a $152,000, which is probably way lower than you would expect. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty low to attack $150,000 per hour. Yeah. I think like, you know? I think like Bitcoin's only like 500 grand. It's uh, the cost exactly. of 51% attack. Like once you have the hash power isn't necessarily astronomical. It's, um, you know, the security of a lot of these network is a lot more in the, it's in the lack of finality. So everybody knows it's eventually going to revert <laughs> back to the truth. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's not like, I don't know how I, I, sometimes I think about it more in terms of not the cost to break, because that definitely is there, but more like the futility of it. And that's what he was saying about the, the lack of finality in these things. Like it's expensive and ultimately it'll be futile. Like you would have just ended up griefing the network and they would have to just deal with it for a little bit, but eventually it'll yeah. Well, and that, that's why, like, so we want to, like, that's why it's such a big education piece. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you're talking about, like, what people are building with these networks, like, you want to teach them, like, this is how you want to build a proper derivatives protocol to last an attack. So if somebody attacks the Ethereum network, how are you going to handle it? If someone's going to attack the Teller network, how are you going to handle it? And we're working with the projects to let them build, like, these resilient networks. Mm-hmm. You know, same with, like, you know, Bitcoin, like if you 51% attack Bitcoin, like you want to teach centralized exchanges, like you wait an hour for confirmations to go through before you accept it. You wait, you know, and if it's a, an order greater than 500 grand, you want to wait a day mm-hmm. before you accept the blocks, you okay, know, and like, okay. you just have to, it's, it's like an education piece. Like it, it, there's nothing wrong with Bitcoin being that it's only 500 grand to break. You just have to Listen, if you want to do a really high value transfer, you got to wait for a bit for confirmation. But I'm guessing like- we always say build things that make sense. And when we say build things that make sense, this is kind of what we mean. So I'm guessing if I run a derivative contract that expires on say the 31st of July at 4 p.m. EST, at that point in time, I have to query the Teller blockchain like maybe every hour for the next 24 hours. And if I get consistent numbers from the chain throughout the next 24 hours, then I can sort of say that this number uh, the Bitcoin USD price that is given is at 4 p.m. on the 31st of July. Uh, it's sort of correct, and I can finalize my, I can set up my contract at that point in time. Well, you wouldn't have to keep querying it. You could just query it once, and then like it's going to get taken off chain <laughs> if it's if it's bad. So you can just like sort of wait and like you can check it yourself. Let other people check it, make sure it's good. If it's bad, people are going to dispute it like right away because you know they get a thousand tokens for disputing it, so they're going to want to try and catch it. So if it's usually on Teller, like if you wait an hour, like it's going to get disputed. So it's just one of those comfort levels. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to gotcha. do you want to check it to, or how long do you want it to wait? So interesting that you guys use a proof of work in this way. Like, do you see any other uh, projects doing something similar, like using proof of work system in this stake tokens and on Ethereum, for example? Yes, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, there's like cool benefits to using proof of work. You know, like we could easily do this with a stake method, kind of a purely stake method. And, you know, maybe we'll move there at some point in the future. But I think proof of work has some interesting concepts, A, about having people actually do something mm-hmm. in your protocol. Like it, it's really nice having people, you know, active members of the community, especially when you're early on. And then also token distribution, proof of work. You're doing something. You have some costs to getting these. Whenever you have purely proof of stake networks, you know, we started with a zero token supply and minted our way forward. It's like we didn't have some big ICO. 
like usually what happens if you, if you start with a really low token supply and then just have proof of stake, like the rich just get richer. It's like that, that kind of mechanism. And, you know, that's not good for any network. So you yeah. really, to have a good proof of stake, you sort of have to assume a really good distribution initially, which, yeah, which doesn't happen whenever you start yeah. out right away. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't really appreciate, uh, but some of the OGs in crypto really appreciate that mining proof of work is one of the fairest ways to distribute tokens to the community members. Uh, everyone's got a chance of getting the tokens fairly and, and it's not disputed. But yeah, as you said, but proof of stake, like all this risk, especially also on the risk of an attack where there's zero cost, right? Because when it doesn't cost you anything to get the takes at the start, then it's easy to attack based on the zero cost factor as well. Yeah, I've asked most of my questions over here. Is there anything that I should have asked that I haven't really asked you on Teller yet? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess there's one question here, right? So have you seen any interesting data that have been requested or made available on the Teller oracles yet? So I guess most people will be requesting for crypto data, for example, Bitcoin USD price, Ether USD price, but are there any non-crypto related data that has been made available or called by developers right now? Yeah, so we're starting um, the price of gold mm-hmm. that's yep. being requested. So, you know, hopefully we'll be working with a project that's using that one here. And then another one, somebody's requesting the U.S. inflation rate. So, oh, interesting. So, you know, which is, it's actually, so our CEO, Brenda, which I think you've met, so she, she used to work on the inflation rate survey in the U.S. government. So it's a, it's like a weird yeah, loop yeah. back around for her to where she's back providing that data <laughs> to people. So it's cool. cool. Cool stuff. All right, last question before we end this, right? So if someone's interested to learn more about Teller, where's the best place to follow and learn more? Well, our website, basically. Uh, so www.teller.io. So there you can find our white paper, our documentation, um, our Medium blog, and we're really, really proud of the content that we put out there. So definitely check out the blog and read all our stuff uh, if you really want to figure out how we tick and, and get uh, some more details on sort of how we design Teller and why. Also, our social links are going to be on, the, on our website. And so we think we have a really fantastic and welcoming and helpful community on Telegram and uh, on Discord. And so we love it when people show up there. And I think that's the best place to interact with us directly and, our, and get questions answered by our community. So, yep. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much for coming on the CoinGecko podcast. Nick and Mike, appreciate your time. And I definitely learned a lot about Teller. And I'm certain, I'm certain that the CoinGecko community will appreciate it as well. Cool. Yeah, no, we, we're happy to be Thank part you. of it. Yeah, I, I check. I go to your website every day. So yep. it's awesome to talk to you. <laughs> awesome stuff guys thank you yep see you thanks bye alright that wraps up the show thank you for listening to the CoinGecko podcast with Bobby if you like our show and want to know more check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes if you have any feedback do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com join us for more next week see ya This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not, howsoever, constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties, implied or expressed, of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations therein the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter.
Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.